guess. Um, I actually give those away a lot. Your sketchbooks? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah I give those as, as like gifts to people, like Christmas gifts and stuff. Um, yeah, uh, just the finished drawings, like, uh, or like, not not the stuff that I would put in a sketchbook that might lead up to something, because I'll just scan that and put it on, on Instagram, which is a lot of the stuff that I put on Instagram is just like stuff that I photographed out of a sketchbook somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I think when we left off, we were talking about your uh, Yahoo Messenger days. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, you said something about uh, uh, meta comics, and um, that was what I was trying to—I was trying to like uh, uh, rebut uh, the meta comics thing. I don't consider a lot of the stuff that I do meta. Uh, my definition is different. Um, one thing that I do remember that I did that I would consider to be meta was uh, in one book I was telling the story about my second marriage and so tad martin's telling the story about the second marriage and he's in the story writing in his notebook about this going on and i took like the stuff that i had written in my notebook at the time and i actually just pasted it on the page so you okay. have him yeah so that's that's what i would consider to be a little meta but, okay that's a bad term. That's a bad term because metaphysical meta actually is like a um, gonna kind of a, a encompass more than that. It's gonna encompass a lot of different like deja vuistic um, things. Yeah. So people people kind of toss meta around uh, pretty willy nilly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It it is. It's kind of like the. Um the uh western appropriation of karma because we like consider karma or it's like you screwed up and it's just like okay karma is like over lifetimes not an afternoon <laughs> you know it, um, americans love to have their instantaneous things so instantaneous karma is gonna probably be as close as they get yeah you know yeah. uh I'm a, I'm kind of a half-assed Buddhist myself, but you'll never catch me in the temple because we're in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> would would it be dangerous to be in a temple in Austin? I don't feel like going there and just like feeling out of place. You yeah. know, I don't think there's enough Asians there to like you know really make me feel comfortable. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why did I get back to race? Why is it always about race? <laughs> um when the, when did you um find your way to half-assed buddhism i think that um i stopped with christianity altogether in about 20 about 2008 mm -hmm. and i was in the church and all of that um and i had started reading a lot of books on mysticism and uh, from mysticism, I got into um, meta metaphysics. And from that, I've kind of got my own, uh, um, I got my own idea of like how things, what reality is and how things fit within that reality. And um, reincarnation and um, 
self-observance and just just trying to be on a kind of an even keel is is part of it, and that's very important parts. But um, I also well, that's that's the Buddhist part. That's why I say half-assed Buddhist. There's also other things, you know. Um, for example, I have more beliefs in like spirits um, that might be animistic, might be more West African. Yeah, uh, that would be uh, not the gods of the Buddhists, you know, multiple, you know. But then again, it could be considered to be gods. The spirit could be like lesser gods, you know. It's all in how you interpret it. Yeah. Um, uh, I doubt that the, the, the Hindu spirits, I'm sorry, I, I, I doubt the Hindu spirits would be the same as the African spirit. But, yeah. Sure. Um, do, do you, is that anything that you uh, like share with your family? Because you said you grew up in a very religious family. Like, do they know about it and just kind of? Well, I, I try to talk to them about it, but. It's like my grandmother will send me like every every Christmas she does this thing she calls a Christmas message and she'll write down this this thing and uh, it's a couple of pages about Jesus and what we should do this time of year and why it's important and you know sacrifice on the cross and this and that and um, I can't tell her anymore that you know wow that was a that was a beautiful message of hope and I can't tell her that anymore because I don't believe it so. Yeah. Uh, at this point, if I bring up anything, um, it'll be a big argument, and my grandmother can get really loud and overbearing if she doesn't. If she if she hears something she doesn't want to hear, she will just start over talking you, over talking you, over talking. Bring up something, a question that um, she can't answer that's biblical, that she can't answer it. It's like a um, a fallacy or something like that she'll say well i can't talk about that right now and then she'll change the subject it's like one of the, one of those people but yeah. yeah i don't i don't really talk about the spirituality thing with my 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 uh father and my grandmother because they they don't get it they're they're very well into that like um uh baby soul mentality uh -huh. and they're very they're very um, binary, black and white, right and wrong. They have ideas that are, this is what this, you know, it, it's, so it's very hard to like, would be very hard to talk to them about anything that's outside of that. What, um, uh, Christian sect did you grow up in? Lutheran. And, and my, uh, but my grandmother was uh, AME. So my grandparents were African Methodist Episcopal, and, um, my mother, when she was coming up was Catholic. Okay. But, they settled on Lutheran because that's where the where the school was that I was going to when I was a little kid. So they all decided, okay, we'll be we'll be Lutheran. So yeah, the Catholics uh, considered Martin Luther to be a heretic, you know. So, <laughs> so she was brought up uh, in school and taught by nuns. So so Martin Luther was like some somebody like a Satan basically. Yeah. But in order to I guess appease because because my family wouldn't deal with the Catholic thing. My, my father's side wouldn't deal with the Catholic thing. So in order to appease, she was just going to go with whatever, you know, Protestant uh, thing was, was going on. Um, and I'm not sure how that, uh, I'm not sure how seriously she had taken Catholicism before to change that quickly. So, right. you know, but can't ask her now. Who knows? Yeah.
And um, um, with your mother's side of the family, because you said that your father's side of the family didn't think very much of your mother's side. Did your mother keep in touch with her family or did she kind of throw her lot in with with your father's family? She she kept in touch with with them. Um, I used to go. We used to go um, on vacations in the summer, go down to Mississippi and hang around with uh, my mother's family. At my mother's uh, funeral, memorial service, my my grandmother brought up how she didn't want that side of the family, and she never wanted my mother to marry my father, you know. That's crazy. But let, comics, let's talk about some art, man. I, this yeah, is, man. All this, this silly stuff about religion and things like that, when we could be talking about drawing. Well, yeah. um, well it all, I mean, for me, it all goes into it. You know, like, uh, particularly when you're doing memoir. You know, I don't want to bore anybody. If anybody's listening, they might like, ah, Jesus, when is going to stop talking about, like, you know, Lutheran church? But, ah, I don't want to know all this stuff. Ah, you know. Well, that's but, what I'm looking for. You lead. Oh, that, well, there you go. All right. <laughs> Keep talking. Keep talking. Um, well, so, yeah, getting back to comics. Um, one thing that I was curious about is, so, um since most of what I'm familiar with from you is in the memoir space and you, we talked quite a bit about how race affects you, obviously, like race affects everyone. Um, can you talk a little bit about, apart from the obvious, about, apart from writing about your life as a black man, how has your blackness affected what you do in comics you know i don't think that it really has i don't think that it really has i think that i might have uh been able to be more of a six uh i would have been more of a commercial artist had i been a white dude but you know i, I my my options were limited with what i was going to do so I, I just stuck with with the comics because and uh, i don't know about about where you are, but in Austin, if you're going to get into something like advertising, you have to know somebody. Yeah. Have to like bring you in. You can't. There's no. Uh, there's no no ads. There's no listings for it. There's always listings for ad sales, but there's no listings for the creative side. Right. It's it's much the same here. Like the 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 work that I've gotten that has been of any like real quality. The more creative work I've gotten and the better jobs that I've gotten, it has been because I've known other artists who got in first and I yeah. got brought in. Um, and I, I can't I don't know that that's necessarily like a function of race or a function of like I'm just not very connected. You know, like I I took a very roundabout root in my career if i can even call it a career <laughs> like it's well, kind of pretend that is, but that's the important stuff that that gets you the 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 jobs the that gets you the six figures you know i every job i ever had came out of a newspaper ad yeah and i would, I would just follow up on that and um i never made more than 1350 an hour in my i'm just like a working joe yeah i want I used to be a supervisor of, uh, at uh, UT. I had this boss that was, uh, uh, he wanted to like make the department look better in the eyes of um, the clients. So what he would do is retire off or retire off Spanish speaking people. And then he would try to hire on 
young people with college experience. And yeah. the thing is, is that that was a really bad idea because he would hire people. They would stay for like, you know, the four week training. They get paid for that and they quit. Or, you know, they would stay for like, you know, uh, maybe a year or two. And then they'd go for something better because they they could get something better. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's like all those, uh, you know, El Salvadorians and Mexicans and, and Guatemalans that are trying to get the job, but he won't let them in because they can't speak any. Okay, so um, you've been married twice and you've written, I know I've, I've read a little bit about your second wife. What? Um, the second wife was the one in Ted Martin's. That uh, was the story Tim Goodyear and um, um, Jason, Jason T. Miles put out. Okay. Um, how long did, uh, did your uh, marriages last? Uh, the first one lasted for two years, and the second one lasted for about four and a half. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, uh, in both in both cases, there were plenty of signs that I should have quit early on. But uh, I again, I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the toolbox to understand uh, what a bad relationship was and when you should cut and leave i had this idea that maybe um i should just stick it out because if i stuck it out then i was really working on the but if quit then i was a quitter and i understand now that you know there are certain levels of of um like codependence and there's certain levels of like abuse that you don't want to want to have going on in a relationship but at the time I didn't understand understand those things what was your process of discovery that you shouldn't you should um move beyond codependence and move beyond the abuse and um recognize like uh, a good relationship from a bad relationship a salvageable relationship from an um a lost cause well um that is for the viewer to like really get like the, the, the handle on that, they would read Tad Martin number six. Okay. It's still available. Uh, that's my plug for that. But okay. make it uh, in, in a nutshell, what happened is um, with my second wife, it being so tense and so um, emotional that I remember just thinking, if I ever single again, I'm just going to sit on this couch and watch TV, and I'm going to be really happy. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was true. I discovered the reason for why I was having those bad relationships, and it was a specific event in my life that happened between my, me and my mother. It was kind of an abandonment thing, and so I was, like, trying to find that feeling of closeness to a, a female that I, that I had had at one point in my life, but was cut off um, and never returned. So in trying to search for that, I was putting up with a lot of stuff that should have, had I known, it would have told me that what I was looking for wasn't possible with that person. Right. How did you meet each of your, each of your wives? Well, the first... The first wife, uh, that was back in my lonely guy days. 
and I wanted a girlfriend, so I, I would go on Yahoo and I would look up, look for these girls. And I remember I got in this new job at the Kachina, and I was decontaminating semiconductor tool parts, and they had like a really nice vacation plan. So after six months, I was able to take some vacation. I took two weeks, and I said to myself, I'm going to find me a girlfriend. What I did was I, I found a wife on Yahoo Chat that I um, proposed to online. Never met, never had met her in person. And then she came down from Indiana to Austin, and we got married. I wouldn't recommend anybody because it was a bad situation. But uh, yeah, that's that's how I would do. And how did you meet the second? The second one. Um, I just come back from Mississippi, and I was uh, I was looking for some kind of um, I guess again, you know, looking for a girlfriend, but I was looking for something that would anchor me back into Austin because I had left in 2002, came back in 2004. So much had changed. I didn't really know anybody anymore. People had moved away. Everything was just different. So I was looking for something that would kind of anchor me to that reality again i uh, was down on sixth street and, and i saw this this uh i saw this chick that i had known her somewhere before and i didn't know where so i came up and i spoke to her and she told me that she was um she used to date a friend of mine and so like i gave her my phone number and um i told her you know let's go out you know let's uh make calls so she gives me a call the next day she says yeah yeah let's go out sometime i said well you know, when do you want to go out? You want to go out tomorrow? Uh, I said, sure, let's go out. Where? And I said, well, let's meet at the cemetery. We've got a really nice cemetery. Let's meet there. So we go out there to the cemetery. And that's what I would do, you know. This is one of the horror pump things. You know, let's meet at the cemetery. It's like a romantic thing for a guy like me. That's how the second one uh, got started. The first one was a coke addict. The second one was a uh, speed freak. Better to have a speed freak than... It's better to have a speed freak than a cokehead? Yes, yes, it is. Why? Because uh, cokeheads will spin up a lot of your money. They're, they're good at lying, so you, you won't know where that money went. You won't even know that the money had, had existed in the first place. That first wife, she was a hairstylist, and she would make big money, but she would tell me all the time that business had been slow. Uh, and I believe there, you know, until I think, figured out that, you know, the whole cocaine thing, the whole story, it, it's long and ridiculous, and uh, it's not not meant for for uh, polite company. Yeah, yeah, I got, <laughs> I got that. Um, but then again, I, I feel like um, I don't think that your work would probably appeal to, to people who are in need of polite entertainment. No, it wouldn't. Um, I mean, it's certainly, matter. like, I don't look for polite entertainment, so, like, that's why I definitely connected with your work, because it's very raw, it's very visceral, it's very um, unapologetic. That's what I want to do, is I want to get people to think about things. Um, I want to get people upset about things. I want to get people to not be able to last something off. I want them to be so upset that they'll actually take time and go, that's fucked up, but that is a situation that is happening in the society that perhaps 
I should pay more attention to. Yeah. Because if it happened to him, hell, maybe it could happen to me. So I'm I'm uh, I'm depending on other people being selfish in their own <laughs> self-interest to, to to kick in. So this magazine here, this yeah. is the new one. That's the one where that's the important one. Okay. That's the one that um, I managed to get my poetry in print through that that book. That's the trick. People say you can't get published as a poet nowadays, and they're right, unless you're a cartoonist like me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that we get to get away with as cartoonists, like things that you can slide in because it's such a bastard art. It's just like, yeah, sure, I can put some poetry in here. Why not? Um, has uh, have any of your exes like seen themselves in print? Like, have those stories ever like come back to haunt you or gotten you in trouble? You know what's funny is I used to have girls that would want to date me just so they would wind up in a comic book later on. In the '90s, that would happen. My second wife, the one that was in Tad Martin number six, she she liked that book because it was like so truthful. <laughs> And even if it made us both look horrible, it was a, a truthful book, so she she really dug it. Oh, I was gonna ask earlier. So so the first wife was into cocaine, and the second wife was into meth. And meth is better because at least it's more affordable. Um, it's affordable, but also it doesn't make you as devious. Cocaine is like if you you know, at least for me, you take a bump, you want another bump. You, you know, it's it's just this like continual craving. You do a rail of uh, speed, you're set for like, you know, your seven hours. You ain't got to keep like going back to it. So cocaine is like already in your head making you like try to figure out how you can like get more. And that's. Okay. that's you got to feed the beast. Feed the beast, man. <laughs> and, and, yep. So yeah, definitely. If you're going to like, you know, date somebody that's doing hard drugs, make sure it's not cocaine. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I just avoid that altogether. <laughs> um, how would you say uh, chemicals have uh, influenced your work? Cigarettes were the uh, drug of choice for the first five books. Then I started drinking alcohol with the, uh, the like uh, workplace notebook stuff all the way into Tad Martin number six. And Tad Martin number six was the when I actually just stopped drinking. Um, started and stopped there. I think I quit back in 2005 because I thought that I was being upset with my wife because I was drinking, and I thought the drinking was the uh, the, the problem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, um, alcohol was uh, effective for a while uh, to loosen up the thoughts and the nicotine and it's not even nicotine just cigarettes there's the combination of chemicals and cigarettes are just like miraculous for cartoonists for for helping me draw yeah. but i quit smoking i quit smoking in 2004 you know now if i can get good hallucinogens that works that's um there was a lakeshore and a lot of purgatory were written on uh hallucinogens well actually they weren't drawn more so not necessarily written because with hallucinogens or dissociatives if i'm going to write i will have to um what i'll do is i'll kind of lay back with my eyes closed and then i'll like i'll start remembering things 
where I'll start putting together a phrase in my head and then I'll like sit up and I'll like write it down. Or if I'm gonna like just concentrate on drawing, I'm sorry, concentrate on writing. I can I can write on hallucinogens, but not necessarily on anything else. What's funny is uh, back when ephedrine was um, was still kind of legal, and you could go to the corner store and just get many things that were full of ephedrine. That was great. That was the kind of like speed that was like that's what kicked out about 120 pages worth of that. Uh, workplace notebook stuff and uh also wrote a novella doing that taking many things three at uh three when you start work and then three at lunch and then you're you're like speeding all the way through your thing you're doing your thing you're thinking up your lines you know you get your break and you write your line down then you go back yeah i'm trying to figure out what which chemical compound will be able to induce a hypoactive mindset because you know i don't know if you know anything about like the um hypomanic hyper hypermanic hypermanic is when you like have like a um uh you start freaking out and you're you're um you're spending a lot of money on things that you don't need you're walking around in the streets and you're just kind of you're talking to people you don't need to be talking to not making any sense that's hypermanic hypomanic is that in the zone thing that you get I'm trying to like figure out a chemical combination that can bring that about uh, for me, because like I said, I am the MS kind of like damaged. It kind of damaged like the part of my brain that that zone was in. So it's real hard to get there now. And uh, when when uh, when were you? When did you first notice that you had MS, or when when you when were you first diagnosed? Like when did that come into the picture? The first uh, symptoms I noticed when I uh, got separated from my my first wife was down on 6th Street, and I was walking underneath the uh, I-35 bridge, and it was like my leg went to sleep, and I couldn't I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel my leg, and so I was just I would stand there like underneath the the bridge and just wait and wait and wait, and then like finally it would come back, and it was just pins and needles, pins and oh man, it was awful. That was like in 2002, and that was triggered by the stress of the whole separation uh, divorce. There's a lot of shit that had happened at that time. Uh, I got separated. Uh, I wrecked my Firebird. Some woman ran into my, my 77 Firebird and told it out. Um, I got fired from a job. I got um, – there's a whole bunch of stuff that had happened all at once, and uh, that's, it was, it's a stress trigger uh, both times. The second time, I didn't have any symptoms for like two years. And the second time was with my new wife. It, it started again with the leg. It started with like a tickle in my back that went down into my leg and then the leg would go numb. And then it was pins and needles. And then it happened with both legs. And this would happen and it would, it would um, they would just kind of go dead. I got this thing where my arms would, would go dead but they would they would cramp they would cramp up so they would cramp up real tight for like half an hour and then when like they came back oh man it was awful just like that feeling of the blood coming back back in here like arms and shit man it was terrible but um yeah i got the um i got actually i got the diagnosis in 2007 i first heard that i might have ms 
in 2006 during the summer. I didn't have medical insurance, so I had to do the uh, the the plan that the city had. They have this kind of like um, poor people's thing, you know. The, yeah. the, the I went. I remember I had a uh, MRI, and I had to go to this hospital to have this uh, doctor that was on the uh, the city's um, program. I had to have him read the MRI back to me. And I remember I had an appointment for appointment for noon. I got there at 1130. Didn't see the doctor until two o'clock. And then at two o'clock, I'm sitting in like his uh, little waiting room. He walks in with his, um, he had his cell phone. He walks in, he looks at me and he's, he's, he's reading the paper and he says, yeah, see here on your uh, MRI, the MRI, it uh, says you have some, uh, some lesions here, not uh, small ones either. You might have MS. We're going to have to do a spinal tap. Ring, ring. Hello. And he walks off. And, as he said that, and then he walks off. And, you know, I'm, and then I like that stress, like, you know, let, you know, triggered some, some more shit. So that's when I found out. It's always a tragically funny story with me. <laughs> yeah, you do. You, you definitely do um, bring some humor to the, uh, stressful situations that you've, you've been in well you don't want to whine about it you know right. that's a problem i see with a lot of uh autobiographical stuff is is people either they're very happy about their life or they're whining one or right. the other and and whining it that's not a good look that's not a good look for a writer it's not a good look for a cartoonist Harvey picard was a big influence because his writing was so tragic but so funny yeah so he could he could make um, the thought of like getting out of an getting out of a bath into an ice cold like bathroom in the middle of the winter, and you know you could feel it you could feel it and then like he'd say oh I don't know gotta count to three and then so he makes it funny but still you feel that pain you know so it's right. it's who were uh, you mentioned Harvey Pekar and uh, I can't remember who you mentioned earlier who are some other artists that you like. Like, not necessarily, like, influences, but just, you know, what you read for entertainment. I like Josh Bayer's uh, stuff. He's he's developing really nicely as a draftsman. I like the way that he uses space, the negative and the positive space. Um, like his line work, it's like it's it's almost accidental in a way. I, I, mm-hmm. he It's too balanced to be accidental, but it... It's so free that it looks accidental. He's like a Gary Panther that had uh, that hadn't rested on his laurels. I'm, I'm not supposed to say that probably, but it's it's how I, I feel that Gary Panther kind of like you know he kind of he could have developed more uh, as a draftsman, but he and there, there's no supposed to say like you know there's just like that's that's that is fine. Uh, let's see. Um, there's a guy named Captain Rotstate that's doing this series of comics called um, I forget what the name. It's a, it's a superhero comic, but everybody in the town has superpowers. The superpowers are used not in any heroic kind of way. They're just kind of abused, mm-hmm. and they're used in like. But it, so it's 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 a comedy. It it's really well drawn. Uh, beautiful stuff. Um, guy's name's Captain Rotsteak, and you can find him on Etsy. Who else? Um, Liberatory. 
Yeah, Ranzarox. Um, I'm looking over at my bookshelf. Herbie, Shane O'Shea. Well, I guess it would be Ogden Whitney would be the, the artist. Richard Corbin. Uh, young young Michael G. Gilbert. He was great. Uh, I, used, I picked up his books at a comedy book store in Chicago for out of the 25 cent box. And they were all from um, his run on, I think it was Quack. It was, it was a funny animal thing. And, and he did this thing called the Wraith. And it was to take off of the uh, of the spirit. And he was really learning how to um, experiment and draw then. And, and it was it was stuff that I prefer to his Mr. Monster stuff, his later stuff. I really prefer his early stuff. Wow. It's weird because like right now, I'm, right now I'm like just reading old stuff. I'm reading like old golden age horror comics. I got like a ton of them. I just downloaded. And that's what I've been reading. So it's kind of hard to remember. I know there's somebody I'm forgetting that I should be saying. It'll come to me. Um, and you, you mentioned uh, uh, an emphasis on draftsmanship, which yeah. like I certainly appreciate and I certainly see in your work. Did you study in school or are you self-taught or combination thereof? Uh, I, I was self-taught to a point and then I, I did I did go to college. I did mm-hmm. get my, my bachelor's. I got my BFA. So that was good. Uh, and useful in teaching me, um, you know, basics of design. That kind of thinking, though, like I said, is kind of a problem now for me because I'm trying to, I'm trying to like stick to all the uh, the artistic beats when I'm doing comics, and it's really difficult to do. It's hard to do uh, those artistic beats with comics because comics is a different language. If you look at like just your regular Marvel comics, they draw in a way that it works as a comic, but it doesn't work artistically as design. If you were to say you were going to do an illustration, you were going to like do like something, uh, a painting where every element had to be balanced. Um, the, the, the foreshortening on certain things, the, um, the shadows on faces uh, will be not right i'm looking when i when i draw like when i was drawing pat martin it was driving me crazy because i was trying to uh i would get caught between drawing shadows and contour lines when you're trying to draw both you get into trouble you know yeah. so and i want i would wind up scrapping stuff or, or spending uh two hours on one panel just yeah. because I like would get into it and I'd say, ah, hell, and, and, that, uh, and then you have to go in and just white out half of it. And <laughs> it's a mess, man. It's a mess because I got like this this training that my professors told me that I should not be paying attention to in comics, but I can't forget it. Right. And what uh, when you were studying, what was uh, like what was the intent I mean, was it just out of interest, your your lifelong interest in art, or was there an end goal that you had at the time? I guess I wanted to learn how to be better, but the most of it was I didn't want to start working. I didn't want to get into the workaday world because that was horrifying. It was just a, a scary thought to me. I would I would see the people around me that would be coming home from work, you know, on a train. Um, they just looked dead inside, and then. Yeah. Um, where my mother would be driving her car through the, the slush and she'd pull up to the house and it was like 18 degrees below zero. You know, that was just, 
and I never wanted to start that. So I wanted to put it off as long as possible. And that's that was that was what college was was mostly about. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's funny because I had um, kind of an opposite approach because I I let's say I went to school now I'd have a very very different um, outcome. Because when I was going to school, I didn't realize that I was dealing with uh, ADHD. So oh. I couldn't focus. Like, it was always like, you know, like in school, it was like, even going back to junior high school, my teachers would be driven insane. Cause they would just be like, he does so well on the tests, but he doesn't ever do homework. You know, like he needs to be more disciplined. And it wasn't like it genuinely wasn't a lack of discipline. My brain just doesn't work that way. And, you know, being able to work within those constraints now, I think I could actually do something with it. But at the time, I was just like, I can't go to school. I can't sit still. I have to go work and do this stuff at night. So would you go back to school if you could? No. To I'm just... It's because, like, what I don't know. What would I do? <laughs> like, I wouldn't go back because there's there's really no purpose to it. Everything you, I could learn everything I need to know from the library or the internet now. I don't, you yeah. know, when you go when you go into college and you go into school, you're learning the professor's lesson. You're yes. learning what he knows. I want to learn something more than what's in this professor and what's more in the book that was put together by I don't know if you know how textbooks are put together but they're they're written not by the guy whose name is on the book they're written by the cheapest writer that can be found by the publishing company yeah. that's how textbooks are written now so why would I bother you know going to school spending that money and and then on top of everything else it really kind of pains me that you have to adhere to that whole that whole old school white educational like if you're going to write an academic paper you have to you're going to try to fancy it up as best you can and make it unreadable you know it's a game and i don't want to play that game it's not worth it yeah when part of uh, part of what happened when i was so i i would go to school and fits and starts and then i drop out and then i go back and then i drop out and then i Eventually, it was just like, I'm going to go to school and I'm just going to go for these very specific skills that apply to what I want to do. It's worked out okay. Like, I, I would, I'm sure, have a much bigger career if I'd done it in a more um, orthodox way. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really have that, I don't really have that orthodoxy in me. And during you, the time. You're like a, a design guy. You, you were, uh, um, you went to school for, for um, uh, what we used to call uh, design communications, which is, yes. uh, yeah, I, I, I was the I was the fine arts guy. Yeah. So I, I didn't uh, I didn't get the training that uh, would have um, given me the head start on being a, a graphic artist uh, for hire. Even if I, I I started out as that, but. Then I like looked around and I saw what was going on in the art building. I was like, I don't want to be one of these people. You know, I want to be an artist artist. So I, I like decided on that. My parents were like, what are you going to do for a living with this? And I think nothing. <laughs> I, I got the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess if you've got like an ability to see, I hear the word talent 
and talent's kind of a misnomer because talent kind of says to me that it's something that's it's something that happens despite you. I think that um, the ability that you have to see is going to lead you to be an artist. And when I say see, uh, to be able to visualize, to see through something through the other side so you can feel the shape like you're feeling it with your brain, that's what it takes to, to be like a good studio artist, I would say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I was, when I was in and out of school, one of the things that I kind of dug into was like this, this kind of early twenties romantic notion of being in the school of hard knocks, you know, working like, you know, shitty jobs and like getting into trouble and like, not that I got into too much trouble, but, um, and during that time I got introduced to punk, um, and that kind of, that really, pulled me away from the track that I'd been on, where I, you know, really had in the back of my mind really mainstream aspirations, where I was just like, you know, at some point I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to go work for Marvel or DC, you know, and then when I got into this whole DIY punk thing, it mm-hmm. destroyed that for me, because I just, I had, I, I couldn't read that stuff anymore. I couldn't enjoy yeah. it anymore. I couldn't bring myself to try to draw in that way anymore. I was just just torn out of that world with any without any chance of ever returning. Yeah, you have to have a certain mindset to draw that stuff. Um, you, you can't be too you can't be too woke, or else you'll like sit there and you'll 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 call yourself a sellout. <laughs> yeah. What am I drawing this shit for? God damn it. As uh, that was kind of, that was, see, that was me though. I did, I didn't want it. I knew from the beginning, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So if that meant that I was going to like, just have some shitty job and yeah. I had no idea what it was going to be when I was in school. And when I got out, still didn't have any idea. Look in the paper. Well, here's something I can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Unskilled labor. Yeah. Like I can either like, do this art thing or I can go wash cars. I don't I don't have anything else that I can really do. From what I've gleaned from your work and from what we've discussed, um you you definitely have like a what would you describe as your your aesthetic like musically? Well, I'm all over the place actually. I got weaned on like novelty records when I was a little kid. Novelty okay. records and then Kiss and Parliament Funkadelic. That turned into Devo and uh, the B52s and um the cramps and then into the misfits and everything else but uh i right now i'm I'm, i don't have any kind of like um certain type of music that i'm listening to more well that's not true i have like a collection of like monster songs that were written in the the 50s and 60s that were just like um they were novelties I, i listen that shit I got like hours and hours of that. I listen to it over and over and over again. But other than that, I don't have a genre. I, I like good country, you know, truthful country, no bullshit country, uh, like Johnny Cash country. You know, I, I like um, classical music if it has um, heart. Beethoven had a lot of heart. Um, Mozart had heart, but he was very playful. Uh, so I, it's hard to listen to him sometimes. Jazz. I was into jazz more when I was younger, but hell, I, you know, I still like jazz. Jazz is uh, something that I can put on and it will 
that's one of those things that will uh, spur on drawing. Listen yeah. to jazz. Still listen to punk. Still listen to misfits. Um, they're like big favorite. Don't listen to anything new. I think that there's so few new bands that are it that I have heard of that are any good. The the record industry kind of destroyed everything after '93 by going with a formula that took the uh, melody out of music, and it was just like um, you had your you had a beat, you had a hook, you had like uh, loudness, and yeah. that which would make your your hit song. Yeah. And since then, since 1993, there really haven't been a lot of uh, groups that have gone against that. You know, there's like Vampire Weekend that they, they were they're a great band that went against that kind of grain. There's different bands. There's not a lot though. So so yeah yeah. To answer your question, everything that has heart. Yeah. Did um what influence did your parents have on you um, aesthetically? Really none. Except for my father, who I guess it would be indirect because he was a comic book reader and he always been a comic book reader. So that's how I got into comics. So I was reading comics before I could read. I was yeah. I was, like, would have a book when I was two, three years old. I would have a book open in front of me. Um, and so he, so he was responsible for me um First, first seeing comics and having them always having them around. So that was that was I was just inundated with that as a as a form of um, entertainment and as a form of um, storytelling. And so much so and it being so so available that um, it just kind of got in my blood. And I, I couldn't think of anything else that I would want to do. You know, um, I, I knew I I wasn't probably going to be a TV star. That would be the only other thing. TV star or comic book artist, that's it. That's all I knew. <laughs> um, and do you find or have you found that you got like heat, you know, got like criticism or like a side eye for for your choice in music? Because I, I can tell you, like you mentioned country. My parents raised me with um, country and disco. Because basically they wanted to make sure they're like, hey, we're going to live in Third Ward in Houston. Let's make sure you fit in as poorly as possible. We're going to teach you to talk like that. And we're going to teach you to like love old country. Yeah. Did, did, like, did you did you find like you you. You know, it, my parents, uh, my parents were kind of concerned that I was listening to all that white boy music in school. I didn't really mix with a lot of people, so there wasn't a lot of talk about what I was listening to. Nobody nobody uh, really knew what I was listening to too much. They really didn't know what I was about. When I got to when I got to college, and even up to now, I think the judgment is more coming from there's more of a judgment coming from white people in that they expect me to listen to a certain type of music. Yeah. And when I don't it's a it's a shocker. It's it's like um, uh, we well, are not like the other ones. You're not like <laughs> other black, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's you know, they they take, they mean that as a compliment, but goddamn, that's not a compliment. Dude. Oh, I, yeah, I've gotten that like. I, and you can't explain to them. It's just like, okay, you know, like that whole like, oh, you're so well spoken, you know, like that's not. Yeah. That's not a compliment. That's a put down of, of where I come. You're in, when your boss tells you, 
you're intelligent. <laughs> now wait a minute. Now why would anybody tell you you're that? That just that, that sounds. It's like it's like they're seeing a dog like play play a slide whistle or something. <laughs> when they, like, <laughs> is it, is it, I mean, would you actually like walk up to like a white employee and say you're you know John you're a really intelligent guy and so. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's I I've never heard that being said to a white dude. You know, mm-hmm. like a one white guy come up and say, "You're a really smart. <laughs> you're a really smart guy." I, I you're you're the smartest Caucasian I've ever met. You know, you're a real credit to your race. <laughs> either, let's put it this way: either I'm a goddamn genius, or they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna have to wrap up soon because I got to get my uh, th- today's my day to be with my son, um, okay. so I got to pick him up soon. Um, I wanted to ask like um, like w- where do you find community? Like because it sounds like you're like you said that when you when you returned from Mississippi to Austin, like you didn't know. I don't have any community. Okay. No, I don't have any community. I got like uh, just a couple people I can talk to. At this mm-hmm. point, because I know Austin's changed a lot. Yeah, I had like a, a one really good friend uh, named Heidi. That uh, she's like my best friend, but she moved to uh, Maine a couple of years back. My friends uh, Jason and, and uh, Laura Wortha, but they're married and they're on the other side of town. So you know, it, it's it, I really don't have a. I should go out more, and I think I, I will once this. COVID thing uh, calms down a little bit. I'll be out more. Uh, and I've said that for years, you can go out more. But I guess I guess I don't really need the company like I used to. I'm more comfortable just being by myself now. So um, I almost would feel more anxiety going out now than I would before. It's hard to know what's going to happen in Austin now. Um, if you go down like go down to sixth street, I, I, you know, I, I, people down there just getting, you know, shot and stabbed left and right. And it gets pretty much covered up. Nobody really talks about it. Yeah. You don't want to do that. And I don't know if I would be able to fit in with the punk rockers that are around now, because from my understanding, so many of them are either, they're either like uh, uh, trust fund kids or they're like these, um, or else their parents were like, um, drug dealers and and all kinds of like weird so they're 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 kind of criminals they're not like you know the the punk rockers that used to be just like you know your parents left you alone a lot so you had to do shit on your own and you know so you went out and you found these other weirdos that were you know taught themselves how to like do shit that was it's not like that anymore no yeah, I could, I could, I could imagine that. I had to um, where I was living before I moved to the Bay Area um, in Southern California. Like when I would go to punk shows, uh, your chances of running into a skinhead gang were very high. Like, is that a? And like it, it just, it just became. You know, I don't, I don't go to a show. I don't go to a, a music show to stress out. Like I go to a music show to probably see a band suck, but also get to like talk to people, not worry about if I'm going to get sucker punched or baited into a fight or like whatever. Yeah. The, the, that's the thing about skinheads is that um, I grew up in Chicago. So I, I uh, just about the, uh, the, the, uh, 
there's the sharp skins, the the skinheads against racial prejudice. Um, there the Nazis. I never, I never, I don't think I ever saw Nazi skin, but they were around. Yeah. Um, you never really see them in Austin. Maybe you do. Maybe I do, and they don't say anything to me. Who knows? You know. But yeah. Um, I understand. I understand what you mean. But whenever I see would see a skinhead, I would go to like the doorman. And I would say, that guy, you know, is he cool? You know, and then if he wasn't, I'd, I'd leave, you know. <laughs> uh, discretion is the better side of valor. But, Leah, there's there's definitely a thing I've noticed as I've gotten older that, like, um, I think north of 35, I just kind of became invisible. Like, it was just like, that's that's a parent over there or something. That's a salary man. Like I, I feel like with age, there's a, a certain level. You do get a certain pass, you know. And I, there was a moment where I kind of missed it because I was just like, oh, I used to be intimidating. Like people used to get off the sidewalk for me, and now like they just like push me off. <laughs> it's the opposite for me, but I, I don't know. It's like I've gotten more intimidating as I've gotten older. When I was younger, I, I was really soft, and. Uh, I, I I couldn't like I I couldn't really grow facial hair. I was I was really like um, delicate. But now it's like people I I keep hearing about like um, the Karens calling the cops on some black dude. Yeah. And the Karens wouldn't even talk to me. The Karens would be like they wouldn't call the cops because they'd be too busy getting the fuck away from me. You know. <laughs> Which, for me, you know, which is good for me. Although I must admit, you know, that, you know, light-skinned dudes, they don't get the same troubles from the cops as dark-skinned dudes. Yeah. Dark-skinned dudes get the shit into the stick. Yeah. And, you know, that that's just that's that's just the way it's always been. And, I, you know, it's terrible. Yeah. I wish people understand that a little bit better. Then you'd have to get in the uh, questions of, of, of colorism and stuff, and that gets... That's another thing to put on top of something that white people don't even understand racism at this point. So they, how could they understand the colorism? Yeah. Yeah. Colorism is a whole other bowl of wax like that. That like the, the, the yeah, like you said, the level of acceptance that you get if you're a little lighter. It's also what really troubles me about it is how internalized it is, like how like, you know, one of the biggest insults like you'll hear is like, oh, that dark-skinned Negro over there, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, why, I don't, like, why on earth? Well, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing insulting just about saying dark, that dark-skinned dude, because that's more of an identifier. As a description, sure. But, like, it's not, like, I'm talking about the context where it's used as, like, uh, to denigrate. Okay, so they actually would say that dark-skinned Negro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You did? But you're talking about black people. I'm talking about black people, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you were t- for a second. I thought you were talking about white people. I, I was saying, really? Really? Mm-hmm. Here, here's here's one of those things that uh, I'll leave you with this. We know from history that white males, especially, are prone to violence and getting what they want from violence. Right. And doing it at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Over little or nothing. Now. Second part of that yin-yang ball is, have you ever met a white person that didn't say they were a good person? 
that didn't say they were a good person? Yes. You have. I have, but this, this person's a sociopath. That was the coolest one of all, the sociopath. No. <laughs> that wasn't I mean, at least to, 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 to their credit, at least they kind of copped to like what they were about. That's, but that's the thing. They're, they're honest about, they're honest about being fucked up. Yeah. You know, they, you know, but if you have that darkness in you and you think I've never heard anybody but white people say, I'm a nice person. Yeah. I never heard a black person say, I'm a nice person. I never heard a Mexican say, I'm a nice person. Only right. white people say they're nice people. And yet, white people are the ones that, if you look at it objectively, are doing the most damage to the world. So if uh-huh. every person thinks they're nice, that's probably the problem. <laughs> it, it, it helps. It drives the problem and it helps like keep that like that mindset helps keep that circle of fucked up and this going. They the, exactly. If you think you're nice, you don't examine yourself. You don't look at what you're doing. If you think you're nice, you're you're thinking you're nice because you're comparing it to something that you saw that was much worse in your opinion. Oh, the 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 least examined lives are led by white dudes. Like there is no self-awareness there. Yeah. Um, yep. And I mean, you know, I've got, I've got friends, like most of my friends are white and I've got friends who like are the exception to that rule or kind of the exception to prove that rule. Cause like there, there's the, the awareness that like, this is what they come from. They, they're aware that they're aware of the difference between White That's why I was saying with the, with the sociopath, you know, there's like the, you know, if you have a certain amount of self-realization, that helps heaps, man. That that at least that will, at at least that lets me know where I stand with you. Yeah. If I know you're a sociopath, then I know where I stand with you. Yeah. But if you start telling me I'm a good person. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, do I take you at your word? Like, you know, we've been doing for the last 40 years. Do I take you at your word and, like, you know, uh, expect things to get better all of a sudden? I mean, if you were really a good person, wouldn't things be better? Yeah, you would. You instead of saying it, you would just show you would you would you would be a good person rather than saying. Exactly. Good people don't say they're good people. Yeah, they they just they just they are good people. They just do their good shit, and they don't. Yeah. If you have to say you're a good person, you're not a good person. <laughs> That's the lesson it takes in the day. White people, if you say you're a good person, you're not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I think that's as good of a note as any <laughs> to end on. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I, I, hope, I hope this didn't bore anybody, man. I'm, I'm uh, uh, I, I don't I don't know what um, I don't know how people will react to things until it's like I, I actually like see like comments and stuff. So I hope I didn't bore anybody. Um, I I don't worry about it because I do my podcast for me and an audience of about five people oh, like, okay. who, who think like me. Like I'm not trying to like set the woods on fire. <laughs>
hope that yeah hope they enjoy <laughs> i'm sure they will um and i yeah i'd love to talk uh, i'd love to talk again sometime if you're if you're amenable to it i'm i'm a mint uh, say the word again i'm in i'm i'm in i i'm in it's the drugs if you're down to talk again yes anyway inimitable god damn it anyway <coughs> yes i have a very well developed vocabulary yeah you, you're very well spoken <laughs> oh and before i forget what what is the last book you you have a, a compendium of your work that has just come out the uh the compendium is the Chad Martin Omnibus, 260 pages, hardbound, and only for the paltry sum of $25 on Lulu. So yeah. if you, you look up the Tad Martin Omnibus online, and you can find it on Lulu. Anyway, take it easy, man. Glad to, uh, <laughs> glad to talk to you. You too, man. I'll be right. Out.